Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. I had promised to talk about the three realms of power, or the realms of power, the three powers that every individual, every child of God should be able to to participate and be a part of and have in this life if you should live a successful and fulfilled life in God. The way of life can be so generous and kind to you and so fulfilling and rewarding that at the end of your life, by the time God calls you home, you are a satisfied man or woman of God. But on the other hand, it can also be so hard and unkind to you when you do not know the ways of God, when you don't understand the principles of the Spirit. That's what we want to give you when we are teaching you or giving you access to many things that by the grace of God, when your understanding is enlightened, you position yourself in a way that allows you to access all that God has given you in Christ Jesus. We believe in men having power with God. God has created us to have power with him. Jesus Christ, the ultimate example of the God life in the flesh, is spoken of in Romans, the first chapter, when Paul is speaking. He says, as a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In the third verse, he says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power. The Bible says he was declared to be the Son of God with power. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom that fellow we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name's sake. Because he has obtained power with God as a son of God. It's through that eternal life that we receive grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name's sake. In other words, that is the very right and grace with which we have to cause nations to come to the obedience and the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The world cannot believe the God that we are preaching when we cannot live and walk in the power that is available to us toward God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Jesus needed to operate in a certain power to have effect over the world. And likewise, the church, which is his body, has the indelible responsibility to walk in the power of God. In the power of God. And this means that we are supposed to function in all realms of power. It's the only way we can bring that apostleship. If you will read that in the Amplified Version, the verse 5, he says, by whom we have received grace, God's unmerited favor, and our apostleship, listen, to promote obedience to the faith and make disciples for his name's sake among all nations. It's the only way we can make disciples among all nations for his name's sake. Is that grace that is given to us and favor to do things in the power of God that will cause men to obey our God, to believe in our God, to subscribe to our God. Every man must have power with God. And when you have power with God and power with men, that is it. That's the defining factor. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so there are three realms of power with God. The first one, every child of God is called to have power over their own spirit. Very important aspect. Because if you cannot have power over your spirit, you cannot have power over or with anything 
in this life. I repeat, if you cannot have power over your spirit, you cannot have power with or over anything in this life. And there are many aspects to this power. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 32, is that, for example, he says, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. See, it's important for you to take over countries and nations and subdue. He says, occupy until I come. But God says that this is more important than the other. He that ruleth his spirit is greater than he that taketh the city. So to God, you'd rather first rule your spirit before you take over. It's more imperative to God that you rule over your spirit than taking over a city. It's a very important aspect for you to think through. So what do I mean by ruling over your spirit? Things like self-control. Can you control yourself? Can you control your temper? Some people are so easily angered. They cannot give a first or second or third or fourth chance with life. The first time you offend them, they are easily offended. They have no self-control. Do you know that the most hot-tempered people in the world are usually the most struggling people if you have studied them? Because the scriptures have taught us that when a man is hot-tempered, there is a spirit that draws greatness and blessing away from them. Greatness and blessing away from them. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's easy to walk out of the assignment of God because of temper. Moses buried a man in the sun. He was angry. He wanted the vengeance of the lives of the children of Israel under the slavery of Egypt. But he did it the wrong way. And the scriptures tell us that for 40 years, God never spoke to that man. Indeed, the Bible says that anger rested in the bosom of fools. It's a foolish spirit. The Bible speaks of Simeon and Levi. The Bible says they had instruments of wrath. They were angry men. They knew how to fight. They wanted vengeance always. When you look at their inheritance, it's frustrated. So it's a very important aspect for you to know how to control. One of those things is self-control. For example, you look at people who cannot control themselves with food. Just look at food. Do you know that if you cannot control your eating, it's hard to have self-control over your body in any other aspect? In any other aspect. That is why Paul speaks of fasting. The bidding of the flesh to subjection of the will of the spirit. Least after I have preached this gospel, I myself should be disqualified. Somebody shout hallelujah. So it's a very important aspect to have self-control. How easily are you offended? How easily do you give in to the pleasures and the appetites of human life? God has not called you to control men. God has called you to control yourself. This is so deep. If we were to go and start walking around that whole life of a disciplined spirit, some of you cannot even keep a praying life. You cannot sustain the life of prayer. You cannot sustain a life of prayer. You pray today and tomorrow, you don't have the power. You pray in one week, the next month, you're out. Why? Because you're not a disciplined man or woman in the things of God. When the spirit is not disciplined, the man cannot be consistent and committed and available fully for the things of God. So it's a very important thing for you to rule your spirit. I can never emphasize it enough. I can never emphasize it enough. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit, the Bible says it's like a city that is broken down and without walls. That means that if you're not controlled in your spirit, you're liable to all manner of attack. It's a man with no rule over his spirit that easily gets sick. It's a man with no rule over their spirit that easily gets attacked by devils. Some of you are tormented in your sleep. You're tormented in life. You're possessed by devils, afflictions and possessions every day and every time. You see, when it goes down to find out exactly why you are the way you are, you have no rule over your own spirit. 
The Bible says it's like a city that is broken down and without walls. So what happens to a city without walls? It's easily attacked. So some of the attacks that you have go back to how well you have ruled your spirit. We've had Christians with conversations like, you know, I think, Apostle, I have a spirit of rejection. Everywhere that I go, people reject me. People accuse me falsely. And some of you might be deceived to think that it's that boss. It's that friend. It's that person who is disturbing you. No, 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 no. The issue is your spirit. If you learn to rule your spirit, you control your atmospheres. If you learn to rule your spirit, you control your environment. The child of God is not called to live under another man's thermostat. A child of God is not called to respond to another man's action. A child of God is called to create the atmosphere for men to respond. Somebody shout hallelujah. So that realm is very important because again, if you don't have that, you don't have any influence over any other sphere in human life. Self-control, a disciplined spirit, a ruled spirit. That's the responsibility that we have toward God. That sometimes we find when we are attacked, we don't give answers. They criticize you and you have an answer. I can open the Bible over certain people right now and empty their church just by opening scripture and just prove them to be wrong. But then sometimes when you examine yourself, the Lord tells you, uh-uh, it's not in the confines of your responsibility. Your spirit is not called to do that. Keep quiet. So it's up to them how they judge their silences. But I have power with God. Somebody shout hallelujah. I have been so blessed that I've been given a very special assignment in life. And I know how many people God has given me to have influence over. And those understand me most when I say nothing. You see? Because I have to control my spirit. And the same it is and should be with every child of God. I've just given you an example. Some pastors, when somebody attacks them, they have to answer. When somebody says something about them, they also have to give their own opinion. I can't keep quiet. Why? Because they have no self-control. There is a man who cannot even respect the principles and order of worship. You know? And some things are in the realm of common sense. You told people that your service will begin from 10 a.m. and end at midday. This is two hours of service. And we believe that sometimes the Holy Spirit can stretch us beyond midday half, beyond one, beyond two, beyond three, beyond four. But where the Spirit of God has stretched, there is grace enough for men to sit, even if it demands the whole night. But then I've been to places where a man speaks longer than the Spirit desires him because he has no self-control. And the woman who is supposed to go back home after service to cook a meal for her husband is delayed in the church because the pastor is looking at her with this eye of, I don't want you to walk out. And it's okay if you go 10, 15, 30 minutes. That's all right. It's understandable. It's bearable. Some people all the time seem to accuse the Holy Spirit for leading them to go beyond the time that is expected. This is common sense to leaders and ministers. This is wisdom to pastors. And so this guy teaches to three up to four and there's a man who is in the process of understanding this God, you are communicating to him as your wife, and you come back at four to cook him lunch with your kids starving because you are in church. And then the man slaps or perhaps beats the woman, which is wrong, but they have a bad quarrel. It affects their marriage. And this woman goes back to the pastor, and the pastor says, your husband has a demon spirit. Listen, if it was for the will and purposes of the grace of God to allow this woman to extend her time of worship. That same God has the power to calm the storms in the heart of that man, her husband. But some ministers don't even have self-control. Even in normal life, they have no self-control. If you give them a mic on a wedding and they have to give a speech, they'll speak longer. And they will say, you know, we are pastors, we're preachers. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. We too attend these weddings. Somebody shout hallelujah. But the Bible says, let all things be done decently and in order. It's a godly thing to have order. If you read that in the Amplified Version, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 40, it says that let all things 
be done with regard to decency and property and in an orderly fashion. Somebody shout hallelujah. Tell your neighbor there is order in the things of God. God is no author of confusion. If you have no control over your spirit, how do you serve God? Romans chapter 1 verses 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. I serve God with my spirit in the gospel. So if your spirit is not ruled, how do you serve God? If your spirit is not disciplined, how do you effectively serve God? And that is why we have many believers who have failed to draw the mark in the things of the kingdom. Because their spirits are not controlled. The way they speak is not controlled. The way they minister to men is not controlled. The way they respond to the things of the spirit is not controlled. The way they express themselves concerning the things of God is not controlled. Nothing about them is controlled. And they have questions of why they don't see, you know, results, yet they are serving God. The spirit that serves God must be organized and aligned to the way of truth. Somebody shout hallelujah. It takes great wisdom to know the difference. But that is so. Every man that striveth for mastery, the Bible says he's temperate in all things. He's disciplined and patterned in all things. Now those of the world do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. But the Bible says, but we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. They of the world do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. That's just the way of life. Somebody shout hallelujah. So tell your neighbor, have rule over your spirit. Have power over your spirit. Hallelujah. The second realm of power is over the earth and everything that is within the earth. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's a very important thing. This is deep. You see, in Genesis, when God creates man in his own image and likeness, created he male and female, created them. In verses 28, the first chapter, he says, he blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. That is powerful. He says, be fruitful. Yeah, be fruitful. Multiply and replenish the earth. But above all, have power over it. Subdue the earth, somebody shout hallelujah, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. It is our responsibility to have power over the earth. Some people don't understand it. They have a very misconstrued interpretation of their existence and survival on the earth. They come in as survivors. One time I was watching a little documentary and somebody in false humility, and of course ignorance said, you know, I look at myself, and then I look at the mountains, and I look at the, how vast the oceans and the seas are, and sometimes I'm reminded of how small I am, and this humbles me. That's the wrong way to be humbled. That's the wrong way to be humble. Because even the seas you're talking about, God has given you power over. Even the mountains that you are talking about, God has given you power over. But you just have a twisted understanding and vision concerning your life. You're bigger than any mountain. You're bigger than any valley. You're bigger than any sea. He says by faith, that little faith as a mustard seed, you can actually speak to a whole mountain and tell it be removed from here and be thrown into yonder place and it shall be. So you even have power to move mountains. You have power to level valleys. You have power to make crooked places straight and rough places smooth. It's on your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. God has given it to you. We should not be humbled by looking at mountains and seas. No, we should be humbled by looking at God. He's the ultimate vision. Because it's a deceived mind to just humble when you look at his creations without understanding the creator. You could wake up or end up worshiping the creations and not the creator. That's why people worship small gods. 
Because they're out at his creations, but they don't understand the hand of the maker. No, his power. Somebody shout hallelujah. So somebody said, you know, I'm humble when I see that. No, that's false humility. That's false humility. God has called you to subdue the earth. That means everything in the realm of the earth is of all manner and sort submitted to you. You just need to know how to appropriate that power. Because if you never understand this, you will never be rich. When I got to understand this, I knew that I will never be poor for as long as I live. I will never be poor. I will never be poor. I will never be poor. Because I connected and I understand how that power works. Some are still in the realm of hard work and labor. And it has its place. He that worketh not shall not eat. It's a good place. But what is our work? <laughs> they came to Jesus and asked him, what might we do that we might do the works, plural of God? He says, this is the work. This is the work. You think that you are supposed to do a million things to be a success. God says, uh-uh, this is their work that you might believe on him whom he hath sent. So does that mean that I'm against you working and doing five, six jobs? Uh-uh. I run several businesses and I do a lot and I preach of the gospel as well. But you see, my source is from him, my faith in him. It begins from there. It begins from there. It begins from the power only God can give. Because labor without the hand of God in your life can be one of the most frustrating experiences that you could ever have in this life. That is why we have men who are enslaved and they think that they're laboring. But they're actually slaves in the spirit. They're enslaved men. Selah, think about it. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he told us to subdue, to have power over the earth, to have power and dominion over everything that creeps and moves upon the earth. When Cain killed Abel, his brother, and his the blood of his brother was shed. God appears to Cain in the fourth chapter, in the 11th verse. If you read from the Amplified Version, when God is speaking to Cain, God tells him, now you are cursed by reason of the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's shed blood from your hand. He says, when you till the ground, listen, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. That means that before Cain killed Abel, when he went to till the ground, there was a way the ground responded to him. That is powerful. The ground was not responding to Cain because he's supposed to just respond to any man. No. The ground responds to men differently according to the realm of understanding which they are. According to how much power they have over the ground. Not every man who plants harvests like the other. In fact, there are people who actually plant through a whole season and have no harvest. Or if they harvest, they cannot sell. And then another man plants and harvests and sells everything. And he has more to plant for the next season. And his land is enlarged. There is something about the land agreeing with you. So when God tells Cain that the ground shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive. Listen. And a vagabond on the earth. In perpetual exile and a degraded outcast you shall be. It's a very, very, very strong thing to think about. That everybody you see in a fugitive state is in some sort of relationship to the ground. And particularly in this instance, in opposition to its graces and provisions. When you see a man going around begging, there's a vagabond. When you find yourself calling people for food, you find yourself calling people for shelter, you find yourself calling people for clothes, you don't have power with the earth. You have no power over the earth. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that the earth was made for the profit of all men. And the king, the Bible says, is advantage to a land with cultivated fields. That's just the way God has called us. You are kings and priests to the Most High God. You were not called to look for food in the earth. When you till the ground, it should yield forth its strength to you. That's how God has called us. 
This is so powerful, saints. So powerful. Some of you think, oh, for 10 years I've failed to buy land. No, <laughs> you have not failed to buy land. You have failed to have power over the land. Oh, for 20 years I've tried to build, but I've failed to finish my building. Uh-uh. You have not failed to finish your building. You do not have power over the land for what builds the house. Your brick comes from the earth. Your sand comes from the earth. The cement comes from the earth. The tiles come from the earth. The granite comes from the earth. The glass comes from the earth. The wood comes from the earth. Everything that you need, the iron comes from the earth. Everything that you need to build that house comes from the earth. So how are you not able to build if the land is yielding its strength to you? Somebody shout hallelujah. So God told him that the land will not yield to you its strength. And Cain knew that if I continue like this, he that findeth me shall kill me. He said, this is a punishment so great I can bear. Verses 14, behold, you've driven me out this day from the face of the land. Did you hear that? You have driven me out this day from the face of the land or from the power of the land or from the strength of the land or from the provisions of the land and from your face I will be hidden and I will be a fugitive and vagabond, a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. That means that if a man's rejected by the earth, and I repeat this, I've said this two or three times, even death is so near than you think. It's easy to die. It's easy to die under the elements of the earth because you have no power over the earth. There's a man wheezing. He's asthmatic. He's allergic to cold air. So every time he becomes cold, he dies. He wheezes. He feels like his life is coming out of him. You see? Why has he no power over the air of the earth when God told him to subdue, to be above? Somebody shout hallelujah. And the people who live like that, that does reading a report. Then in the United States alone, 50 to 70,000 people die every year out of a common flu in the cold times. Why in the cold times? They cannot subdue the elements of weather. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you understand this, you'll not only live wealthy, but you'll live a healthy life. But back to what I was trying to emphasize. When the earth is agreeable to you, you cannot worry about wealth. Because everything you plant in the earth will yield its fruit and substance to you. Men live in the same world. Somebody shout hallelujah. This land can accept a minister and it can reject a minister. And it can frustrate every work that you have on it. Or it can bless every work that you have on it. People of the fallen world call it mother earth. Because they know in it is the power both to conceive and give life. But they don't know how to reconcile it with the creator. Somebody shout hallelujah. In Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, you know, common verse, 18th verse. The Bible says that you will remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. You see how wealth is made? Power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. See, you don't just wake up and you're wealthy. You are given power to get. You are given power to make. You are given power. In fact, the literal translation there is, he giveth thee power to create wealth. Wealth is created. And it's not subject to the confines of men's ideas concerning wealth. Because when you talk about wealth, when it comes to men, it's money. Money is an idea. It has no bearing whatsoever in the principle and patterns of blessing. No, 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 no. It's just an idea. So in Isaiah, he's telling you, no, you can actually buy without money. You don't need money to be wealthy. And not all who have money are wealthy. There's a man with billions and billions of investments in the world, but they cannot produce for him now. And is borrowing as well to feed and educate his children. But there's things around him, but they're not beneficial. Wealth begins with the spirit, begins with the heart. It's not so much with what you have outside than what you can create and have within you. Again, and to know the difference is that wisdom. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
So, some people don't have that power. And if you don't have that power, it doesn't matter how many books you read. It doesn't matter how many master's degrees you do. It doesn't matter how many PhDs you do. <laughs> we have professors who are training people in fields and arts, and people go out and do the same things that they've been trained, and they become multi-millionaires or billionaires in dollars, and the same professors are still earning a salary in the very universities where they taught these very ideas. So we thought the professor should actually know better, but he doesn't, because it's not about how much they know about a topic, but it also goes to whether they have the power to translate that and create something in the world of men. That's what I call the law of exchange. Your ability to switch things from the realm that is not seen into the realm of men. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Present continuous. There's a present continuous experience of things which do appear. Every day, buildings are coming up. You know, new cars are coming up. New gadgets are coming up. You know, all of these things you see coming out of the earth, to God, they are appearing. It's their appearance. It's not their existence. They already existed, but they had not yet appeared. And the power to go into the world where these things exist and transact them and be able to bring these things into the world where they can or should appear, that, that is greatness. That is greatness. So not many people are able to transact. Not many people are able to translate they live in a world where everything is just determining. They're fed. If it works today, it does. If it doesn't, that's all right. If we get money today, good. If we don't, that's all right. Tomorrow, we have another day. Don't worry, as long as we have Jesus. Oh, yes, you have Jesus. And that's the truth. But you see, that the essence of having God is to also have the best with God. Look at Job. The Bible says that he was the wealthiest man in the East. The wealthiest. There was none richer. That man in Uz, the Bible says he was the wealthiest man in the East, yet he feared God and eschewed evil. But he was the wealthiest man in the East. So, he was the most righteous man. He was the most righteous man. See, if God was to boost over a man, he would boast over Job. But Job was the richest also. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? You know, there are many people who associate poverty with righteousness. No, because we're givers, it doesn't mean that we'll be broke. The more we shall be given. Has he not said, give and it shall come back to you. Good measure, press down, shake it together. Shall men give to your bosom? When you learn the principle of responding as a blessed man in the things of God, the way you give changes. You stop thinking, oh, I must tithe today. The tithe is small. It's the standard, but it's nothing compared to your mandate toward God. When you grow in God, you respect it, but you give above it. You learn to be a giver because you're not giving to receive. No, you give because you have the revelation of how much is available for you in God. And once you understand how that plane works, and then you start to meditate and learn the creative power and forces of the Spirit, you'll be so amazed how many things will come to you without spending on them. I'm a living witness. I'm a living witness. Men shall give to your bosom. And whatever is given from God through men will always overrun and override your giving. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give to your bosom. Somebody shout Hallelujah. So it's important for you to know your measure, even when you're responding to the things of the kingdom. That's why we don't manipulate people in this ministry. We don't twist hands. But man, people give in this ministry because we know, we know how to appropriate the blessing of God. We know, we know. And if one does and another does, because they're all responding to the impression of the Holy Spirit, not force and coercion and manipulation. Men knew this. Do not waste countless hours talking about money. They would invest more giving men life. Somebody shout hallelujah. The third power is power with men. Somebody say power with men. I'll give you two stories. Those of you gentlemen 
and probably a few ladies who have been following recently. We've been having a football tournament, Euro 2020, they call it. And so Cristiano Ronaldo, a very renowned footballer, his team, Portugal, was playing against another nation. They won, and so they put him before a press conference. And before him were two bottles of Coca-Cola and another bottle of water. And some of you have read this story or saw it. If you haven't, go Google it. It's interesting. So he gets the two bottles of Coca-Cola and puts them on the side and says, uh-uh, I don't want Coca-Cola. Who are official sponsors? And then he gets a bottle of water. And do you know what the consequence of that was? The shares of Coca-Cola dropped by $4 billion instantly. Because Cristiano Ronaldo refused to take Coca-Cola. He chose water and put the two Coca-Cola bottles on the side. The value of their share dropped by $4 billion because one man put aside Coca-Cola and held water. That's power with men. That's power with men. That means that Coca-Cola worth $4 billion went to waste because one man refused to take Coca-Cola before that advert or even touched the bottle and put it on the side before a camera. And so some of the footballers also said, ha, I think we need to make statements. So another guy, Paul Pogba, you know, he's a player in France, in the France national team. Also, France has a match and they win, and he was actually the man of the match. So he sits again in front of a press conference, and before him they put Heineken, the beer, and water and the rest. And so he remembers what Cristiano does. So out of the convictions of his faith, he's a Muslim, he gets this Heineken, the bottle, and puts it on the side to make the statement because he saw that when Cristiano put aside Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola lost its share by $4 billion. So he knows that if I put Heineken here, you know, Heineken is going to go down by a certain fraction of shares. And as a Muslim, it works for me. It's a statement to the world that I'm Muslim. And it's a jubilation for the Muslim world. You know what? He went before the camera, got Heineken, put it off the side, and Heineken raised by a billion dollars. Heineken, the company, each share raised by a billion dollars. <laughs> two men did two things, but one had power with men and another one did not have power with men. This is deep. The Bible says in Psalms 110 verses 3, he says, thy people shall be willing in thine day of power. In the day of thy power, people will be willing. People will respond to you. They'll respond to your actions. They'll respond to your dreams. They'll respond to your ideas and innovations. They'll respond to your aspirations. They'll respond to your vision. When you have power with men or power over men, it's amazing what you can do in this world. Look at the president of the United States of America. Is he the richest man in the world? He is not the richest man in the world. But he can make a statement and shake the whole world because he has power. He has power. So it's beyond even money. It's beyond money. It's beyond fame. It's beyond your education. It just sits on a man and you must know how to appropriate that realm. Somebody shout hallelujah. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 verse 28, that in the multitude of people is the king's honor. In the multitude of people is the king's honor, but in the want of people is the destruction of the priest. God, let me first emphasize this, with him, he can serve with many of you. So to serve a man, he doesn't need many. He can serve with many of you. But when he has to give honor to a man, that man needs men. If he has to grant honor to a man, that man needs people. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
There's a pastor saying, oh, you know, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm doing everything, but my ministry is not growing. You know, people can't come. You tell them do this, but they can't do it. You don't have power with people. You don't have power with people. One time, we did a street preaching, and people were on the streets and everywhere. And so one guy called, you know, a mutual friend and said, how much does this man pay people to go on the streets? Because what comes to his head is they must be paid to go on the streets. There is just no way they can go on the streets when they're not paid. Well, God can honor you in a way that men will even admire to live on the ground where you step. It's so hard for me to go anywhere and people don't follow me. It's so hard. It's impossible. On the contrary, I'm actually the one who chases away men from myself. I'm the one who runs away from men. But if I drove somewhere right now and I packed and certain men knew I was there, there are people who drive just to be there for no reason. And I don't use that honor for vice. I don't abuse it because it's dangerous if you get in a place and then start to look at these men as numbers and statistics. These people God died for. These people are as sacred to God and important to him as you are, man of God. So even though they have this place where they can come to you by the leading of the Holy Spirit, you remember the church in Macedonia? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the fifth verse. He speaks of the church in Macedonia. He says, if you will read the Amplified Version, the Bible says, and now, nor was the gift of theirs merely the contribution that we expected. The church in Macedonia was a giving ministry. They were giving people. So he says they went beyond even the gift that they gave. And yet, when you read of their giving in the verses before, the scriptures tell us they gave more than it was expected. Their poverty abounded to their liberality. He says, but first, the Bible says, they gave themselves to the Lord and unto us his agents. Listen, they gave themselves to the Lord, and after giving themselves to the Lord, they gave themselves unto the man of God as his agents. By the will of God. Never forget that. Never forget that. By the will of God. It's only God who gives that power over your life for men by his will as God to give themselves over to you for service. You don't manipulate yourself there. You don't scare men into service. You don't exercise dominion over men forcefully into serving you. You don't scare them to die into serving you. Because if you do that, that's Jezebel, that's witchcraft. Somebody shout hallelujah. But the church of God gave themselves, the church of Macedonia gave themselves unto the Lord and the Bible says, and unto us, his agents, by the will of God, listen, entirely disregarding their personal interests, they gave as much as possibly they could, having put themselves at our disposal to be directed by the will of God. That is power. Yet God has called all of us to the ministry of service. You cannot have power with men when a man has not had power with you. Never forget that. You cannot have power over men when a man has not had power over you. You reap what you sow. If any of you desire to be the greatest in the kingdom, he must first become the least. You will be served as you serve. You will be honored as you have honored. It has no way around. If you don't do it the godly way, you'll have to manipulate. You'll have to take advantage. You'll have to abuse and dominate and impose with threats for men to serve you. But it is possible to have power with men. And when you have that grace in your life, it means that they can forego their interest for your comfort in the things of God. And I emphasize in the things of God. Because if you can use that liberty for vice, you could destroy much. God help us. Somebody say, God help us. I have people who have left their jobs earlier just to come and serve. I have people who leave their businesses and just come to drive me to a meeting. I have people who abandon a lot just to come and serve. That's power with men. But I too wash toilets in church. I did not get anointed on prayer mountains. No. Newsflash. We washed toilets. We slashed compounds of men of God. We washed clothes and did laundry. We were the market boys that were sent to buy 
food for the household of the man of God. I remember there's a man of God I served. Every time he left the nation, I made sure that I went to his home consistently to make sure that nothing lacked. Not even soap. Anything you need, they'll tell me. We need this. They give me the list. I go buy it and put it there to make sure that if the man of God is out of the country, his family will not lack even a toothpick as available at his disposal. I had to forego my own personal interests. When you have power over you, it is easy to have power with men. Somebody shout hallelujah. And without that power, you have no owner. That's true owner. As I said, there are people in the world who can do anything for me. Anything. If it concerns the kingdom, they can do anything. And there are people in the world that I can do anything for when it comes to the things of the kingdom. I still kneel before certain people for blessing. There are people in this world who have so much power over me that even if they called right now and told me to get on a flight, the first flight to their nation, I would get that flight the next day without asking any question. I would cancel the biggest meeting to go and sit before them and hear what God is saying. That's how much power they have over me. And it works with me as well. How much power did Hitler have over men who were born by women and were breastfed like any other person? to kill those Jews like they did. By the grace of God, I visited uh, Israel and I went to the Holocaust Museum and they relayed the whole story before me and I thought to myself that the people who killed these men were also children and sons and daughters of others as well one day. But somebody had power over them. Somebody had power over them. He spoke one word and they responded, even without thinking. There was a force, of course demonic, that was behind those massacres. When you go to the Holocaust Museum, these Jews preserved the crews, those that were burnt in gas chambers. They preserved the clothes. They preserved everything. They even have pictures. You see a lot of it. And you can understand just how much power one man had over these people and what he could do with that power. They tell you that the Catholic Church is close to about a billion members on the earth. The Vatican is represented in the United Nations on its own independent voice. It's how much power the Pope has. It's how much power the Pope has. Some men like that can make statements and change governments. Because people are committed to faith more than many other aspects of life. It's the first estate of all the estates. Religion, faith is a very powerful thing. It's a very powerful thing. A man can preach a sermon and overthrow a government. A man can preach a sermon and change the history of a nation. By the time Martin Luther was killed, he was the most popular man in America because he had a certain power, the place of wisdom. You know, Job later teaches about how it's a place where the fowls cannot go, where the lions have no access and the beasts of the earth cannot creep into. For who and where can a man find wisdom? And later in the verses, later in the chapters, you see him speaking of how the secret of the Lord was upon him. He says, when he spoke, the youth could not speak. No man could speak when he spoke. The Bible says, when he spoke, the Bible says that the old man stood up. Old men stood up when Job spoke. But he says that the secret of the Lord was upon my tabernacle. He had and commanded a certain power over men that when Job spoke, no man could speak after. So that means every opinion you give can actually become a life commitment of another man's destiny because of how much they believe God through you. There are people who have called me on their deathbed and everything scientific and biological says they're going to die. And you call them on phone and you tell them, darling, you're not going to die. And they say, if Apostle Grace has said, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. And every effect against biology and science reverses. It's just how much power your words have over some people.
And we can kill as well. <laughs> if we're not careful. Somebody shout hallelujah. You have to have power over your spirit. You have to have power over the earth and the elements of the earth and that power to make wealth and subdue the earth and have dominion. And you must have power with people. And that power with people, you have to treat with great humility. The more power you have with men, the more humble you should become. Somebody shout hallelujah. And God has called all of us to function in those three realms of power. Now grace and peace be multiplied to you according to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. And I believe that tonight, in the mighty name of Jesus, these things are established, they are planted, and they're working in your life like never before. May you use all of this power. May you access all these realms of power to the glory of God and expansion of his kingdom. In Jesus' name, we have prayed and believed. No sent, said, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to confess these words with me. For there is no name that is given to men where men can be saved except the name of Jesus. You just repeat these words simply. Say, Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. For he shed his blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Because I'm born again and your Lord of my life. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.